0: Welcome to this week's message from Mountain Park Church. Our mission is to allow God to work in and through us, and we hope that as you listen to today's message, you feel challenged and inspired to give God more room to work in your life this week. So probably like you, I've been I've been I mean you can't help but turn on the news or scroll through your Facebook feed and and see everything that's going on, um, and see all of the um, comments on every side of the equation, and and everybody seems to be stepping in and weighing in uh, as to what's happening, and it's logical, and and I think that there's um, there's a lot of validity to to us actually uh, articulating and vocalizing what is true and right and should be vocalized. But I've also been wondering if in some way, if we're kind of missing a big part of the problem and if we're failing to recognize an essential sort of linchpin idea, and that's that the things that happen physically in our world and in our life are actually reflections and symptoms of things that are happening spiritually in the invisible kingdom that God has established. And So often, and it's so easy for us, we get caught up in what's happening around us and we do need to focus on it and pay attention to it. But if we only focus on what we see happening around us, we're going to be overwhelmed and crushed on every side because we don't have the answers to what's happening. And I've just been processing the last few weeks going, God, what Where can we look or where can we go to find some sort of like normalcy, some sort of position of foundational peace and understanding to kind of help us walk through this season that we're in. And as I've been processing and thinking about this, I've just been wondering and hypothesizing um, in my own mind and just wondering, God, if we actually took the time to understand and ask you what's happening spiritually around us and invite you to show us what to do and how to respond. I wonder what things would change in our life and in our country and in the world that we live in. And so I feel like even as Christians, we're approaching the problems that we see and that are all around us from a physical perspective. And that's part of the equation. But a massive part of the equation is the spiritual perspective. And fortunately, the Bible gives us a little bit of insight into what happens in the unseen world, the invisible realm. We don't have even close to the whole picture, but the Bible gives us a little glimpse. And I hope that over the next couple of weeks, as we process through this, this will actually be something that fortifies and encourages and strengthens you. It gives you energy to walk through your day, to experience what we're all experiencing in our world, and gives you a place to turn when you need to. And so we're going to start in the Old Testament We're going to start in the book of Daniel. Let me give you a little bit of context here. So we're in the book of Daniel. Daniel is in the final stages of his life. Some scholars think he's in the last year or few years of his life. He's in his high 80s or early 90s now. And he's been living as an exile in Babylon since he was a teenager. So when he was a teenager, his nation of Israel was overthrown and taken over. And he was taken captive... By the Babylonians and has found himself working in their government and in their culture and in their society for the last 70 odd years 75 years and Daniel has found himself living as an exile for so long and right about this time in his life near the end of his life the king of Persia actually softens his heart God actually softens his heart for him And the king of Persia allows the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple, which was destroyed, was completely obliterated. And so this king of Persia allows them to go back to Jerusalem And he invites them to go back, and even more than that, he said, I'm actually going to send you with supplies and resources, and I'm going to command your neighbors and the people around you to give you supplies and resources so that you can go back and rebuild Jerusalem. There's one small issue that Daniel finds himself wrestling with in this chapter 10 that we are going to talk about. And that's that of all of the people, of all of the Israelites, probably somewhere close to about a million of them, of all of them, less than 50,000 decide to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild their temple and to rebuild their city. And so Daniel, in his old age, is going, what is going on, God? There's this opportunity that you've provided for these people to go back home and no one's taking it. They'd actually rather be in this foreign country serving a foreign king than rebuilding their lives back home. And Daniel is struggling to just comprehend how the people around him can make the decisions they're making. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) When you just open up Facebook and you go, how in the world does that person make that decision? Why are these people acting so crazy? Why is nobody seeing rationality here? Why is nobody responding with some kind of tempered wisdom? Why does it seem like everybody's just thrown logic out the window? And so Daniel, in his old age, he's too old to make the journey back to Jerusalem. And he's, his heart is heavy because of this opportunity that he feels his countrymen are missing. And so he's struggling. And this is where we find Daniel in chapter 10. It says, In the third year of the reign of King Cyrus of Persia, Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, had another vision. He understood the vision concerning events certain to happen in the future. Times of war. great hardship. When this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. That's what he was mourning about. All that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine, crossed my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions until those three weeks had passed. I would not want to be around him. All right. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. His body looked like a precious gem. His face flashed like lightning and his eyes flamed like torches. His arms and feet shone like polished bronze and his voice roared like a vast multitude of people. Only I, Daniel, saw this vision. The men with me saw nothing... But they were suddenly terrified and ran away to hide. So I was left there all alone to see this amazing vision. My strength left me. My face grew deathly pale, and I felt very weak. Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God. So listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I've been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up, still trembling. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. I have come in answer to your prayer. But for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Then Michael, one of the archangels, came to help me, and I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now I am here to explain what will happen to your people in the future, for this vision concerns a time yet to come. And so Daniel finds himself... In this season of his life where he's overcome with grief and anxiety and stress and fear and frustration and all of these things because what's happening around him. And what I I just want to make some observations about this little window into the invisible realm that I think can be really helpful for us. One, Daniel resorts to prayer and fasting and specifically the bible says that he was praying for understanding that's so important when we realize that there's a spiritual battle taking place around us everywhere around us we need to actually begin by praying for understanding all too often we see what's happening, we feel like we know the answer or have some kind of wisdom to add and we forget to ask God to show us how to see it. And so we're not asking God how to actually understand and interpret the things that are happening around us, whether it's our family or our work or what's happening in our country or, you know, the continent or the world. We, we forget to actually ask God to show us How to properly interpret and understand what is happening. And so Daniel's prayer is not, God, do this. God, do that. God, I need this. God, I would hope you would do this. Shame, shame, shame on you. Shame on you. No, his prayer is, God, I don't know why they're making the decisions they're making, but I need you to tell me. I need you to give me some kind of insight here. And so for three weeks, Daniel is pouring out his heart in prayer to God. And then this angel shows up, and you can, this is a fascinating study, but you can actually just cross-reference the description we just read with the description of Jesus in his glorified state in Revelation. Now, scholars are not sure as to whether this was actually Jesus visiting Daniel or some other angel, and honestly, it doesn't matter the point is that Daniel finds himself in a place, because he was asking earnestly for understanding, he finds himself in a place where God is ready to reveal to him what's happening and why. And so here's a few observations about the invisible realm that we can draw from this. One, that angels and demons work in a hierarchy of structure. they God's kingdom is a kingdom of order and structure. Two, that these angels and demons have intellect, emotion, and understanding. They're responding to Daniel about events that are taking place. They're comforting Daniel. They're responding to Daniel about what's happening in the spiritual realm. So these are not uh, angelic, autonomous beings who just are robotic Beings that are just kind of on autopilot. These are created beings with intellect, emotion, intelligence, feelings, all of that. The third thing we can see is that these angels can influence the physical world. So later on it says that Daniel was so weak that he said to the angel, I can't even stand. And the angel touches him and gives him strength. So we see that although we don't see often the invisible realm, the invisible realm can have a tangible impact on our physical world around us. The two are not not isolated. It's so important to understand these things. The other thing that we can see from this is that these spiritual beings, these angels and these demonic forces, are also uh, have territorial jurisdiction. So not only is there a top-down hierarchy in the spiritual realm, there's also a territorial jurisdiction. And this is so key, we're going to get into this in a bit. But these angels function in a system of structure and order that's been predetermined for them. And so This angel says to Daniel, look, I've been trying to come. Listen, listen. God heard you from the first time you began to call out to him. Don't be discouraged, Daniel. Don't be discouraged. Don't buy into this lie that when we pray, it just hits the ceiling and bounces back down. God is actually listening. But here's why I couldn't give you an answer sooner. We're going to see from the next story that we kind of dig into. We get so impatient and frustrated when we feel like we're not hearing from God. And we just bail out and assume that, well, I guess I'm not going to hear anything about this. And I wonder if far too often we give up way too early when it comes to praying for the things that matter most to us because we get discouraged with what we don't see and we make assumptions about what we don't see and this angel says look it's not that god didn't hear you it's that there were things happening that you can't understand and so he gets michael the archangel the archangels were kind of like the generals of god's army they're they're in that upper sphere of leadership and power and authority And this other angel needs the power and strength of Michael to defeat this this spirit prince of Persia in order to make it through. And later on, he actually says, look, I left Michael fighting him to come. I've got to go back and continue fighting. And then next I have the prince of Greece that I'll be taking on. And so we get this window into the unseen world, one of structure and order, of intellect, of emotion, of cause and effect. I don't know the answer to the question I'm about to ask, but I'm going to ask it anyway. I wonder if we spent as much time praying like Daniel did about the things going on in our world today, asking God for understanding and insight, I wonder if we devoted as much time to that as we do commenting about what is going on and articulating our position and our arguments and our intellectual sort of... uh, mazes that we run through. I wonder if we spent as much time asking God for insight into what's happening spiritually around us. I wonder what would happen. I wonder in your family and in my family, if we didn't jump to the conclusions we do when stuff happens around us and say, God, I don't know why this is taking place. I don't know what's going on. I'm not sure. But, Jesus, I believe that there's a spiritual realm that has things happening in it that I don't understand. So, I need you to show me what to do. And specifically, I need you to show me how to pray. How? When was the last time you started? a conversation with God in prayer, where you you said, Holy Spirit, I invite you to teach me how to pray right now. When was the last time that you actually started your conversation with God in that way? Acknowledging what you don't know and can't see and inviting God to teach you and show you actually how to pray about whatever's going on in your situation. We're going to jump forward because this is not just an Old Testament principle. We actually find this principle at play in the New Testament. And so we're going to leap forward now to the book of Acts chapter 12. So Jesus has come. He's died. He's risen again. He's gone back up to heaven. And his disciples have now been empowered to take his truth throughout the world. But They find themselves immediately in a fight and in a battle for their very own lives, actually, against the religious system that they're a part of, against the Roman government that they are underneath. And here's a really interesting story in Acts chapter 12. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the Apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. But while Peter was in prison, get this, the church prayed, very earnestly for him. The night before, key words there, the night before, Peter was placed on trial. He was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly there was a bright light in the cell and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, quick, get up. And the chains fell off his wrists. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me. Sounds like a morning routine in our house with our four-year-old. And the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell following the angel. But all the time he thought he was in a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening they passed the first and second guard posts and came to the iron gate leading to the city and the angel opened for uh, and it opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street and then the angel suddenly left him. So we're in a similar scenario here. Thousands of years later, but we're in a similar scenario. And and just get this. Like let's understand the weight of the context. Of what's happening. They have just seen, the people in this story have just witnessed the murder of one of their friends at the hands of the king. So things are pretty low. Things are at maybe an all time low for that point in time for them. So their friend has been killed, their other friend is put in jail, and what do they do? They begin to pray. How many times in your life and in mine, when things are going downhill fast, do we actually have the trust in God and the fortitude to pray about what's happening? To actually not start running for fear and not start making our plans. And, you know, this isn't the show Prison Break where they're creating an elaborate scheme to get Peter. They don't know what to do. It's depressing what's going on around them. But they decide to pray, and they pray, and they pray. And then I love how it says, on the last day, you know, not three days before or not a week before, on the last day, in the last moment, God breaks Peter out supernaturally. And what I love about how this is described is that it shows you the angel doesn't take Peter, although he could have. He doesn't just take Peter and whisk him out, you know, flying like Mary Poppins over the city and landing him at his friend's house. No, he goes through a process with him, a reversal of what got Peter into trouble. The angel walks him through every step of that. And although he says, hurry up quickly, the chains fall off quickly. But he's obviously patient enough to wait for Peter to tie up his shoes, put on his clothes, brush his teeth, comb his hair, you know, all of that stuff. And then it says that he walks him past. He walks him past the guards, one, then the second guard station, and then the iron gates, that are the entrance to the prison and i love that picture of how i really believe in a in a supernatural sense that god just doesn't want to take us and and sort of leapfrog us over like mary poppins into some great reality but he actually wants to walk us past the things that have imprisoned us The things that are binding us and holding us back, he wants to walk us right past them toward victory and liberation. He doesn't want to wipe the slate clean and make it like it never happened. He wants to take those things in our life, those things that are going on internally with you and I, the things that are happening externally in our family, and he wants to actually hit the reverse button. Remember when we used to have cassette tapes? if you're older than like 17, right? And you would listen to a song and you love that song and so you'd hit the reverse and be like, right? And it would reverse all the way back and then you'd hit play again. I I really think that this is a picture of what God wants to do. He doesn't wanna just bring us to something else. Spiritually, he wants to show us how to walk right back through those obstacles and those barriers to peace and growth, and life, and joy, and hope, and courage. And so this is what he does for Peter. And then once they're a street away from the prison, he's gone and Peter then kind of realizes, oh my goodness, what just kind of happened there? These two stories give us a window a little one, like a fraction of a glimpse into how God operates every day, all over the place, all around us in our life. And so here's what I think God wants to just release us with practically because this isn't just about head knowledge of how things work. I really believe that in this season, in this time we live in that God wants to to actually show us how we can walk through these things. And I think the first thing that we can identify is that the enemy, the devil, Satan, or all of his cohorts want to trap us into believing that the conditions around us negate the position that we have in Christ. So, The Bible says really clearly, over and over, read Hebrews 1, read the beginning of Colossians, read half of the epistles, Paul goes to great length to teach the early church about the supremacy and authority of Jesus Christ, that he is far above all principalities, all rulers, all authorities, and in fact that they are all under his feet. And then he goes on to say, and you're the body that makes up Christ. So even if you're the foot, you're still in authority over those things that Jesus defeated on the cross. So, in our lives, on a practical level, this is what I've experienced time and time again. The enemy will get me fixated on the conditions around me. He'll get me fixated on the way I'm messing up with my family or the things that I'm doing or the cycles of sin that we sometimes seem to go through. He'll get us fixated on the conditions. He'll get us fixated on a world that's going to hell in a handbasket. He'll get us fixated on that so that we take our our eyes off the position that we have in authority over the enemy. And it's not a position that changes. When you give your life to Christ, it says you're seated with him at the right hand of the Father with all authority. All of the authority of Jesus Christ is ours. All of it. Not some of it. Not a little bit when you become a Christian and progressively more. This isn't a progressive thing. This is an instant thing purchased by the blood of Jesus on the cross. And so the enemy wants us to believe that the things happening around us disqualify us from standing our ground and saying, no, I'm not going to engage in this. I'm not going to give in to my anger. I'm not going to give in to my fear. I'm not going to give in to my doubt. I'm not going to give in to lust. And I'm not going to give in to pride and self-righteousness. I'm not going to give in to the fear of what's happening around me. I actually have authority over this, and I'm going to tell you to go. So this is our position in Christ, bought by the blood of Jesus on the cross. One time, sufficient. Not progressively, not a little bit at a time. One time. But the trap we find ourselves in, and I have so many times, is going, God, I'm not I'm not worthy, I, I'm not worthy to. To do this. I'm not. I'm. I'm just. I'm just a mess up. I'm just. I'm messing this thing up. And I, I you know. And we get into this trap of self pity, and guilt. And we trade our position for our condition. And I think in this way, the enemy just keeps us running in circles, chasing our tail, never actually understanding that through what Jesus did on the cross, we actually have the authority spiritually to speak into what's happening around us. And so that's the first thing to recognize. So when you're faced with stuff going on in your family or in work or just the world in general around us, just take a moment to stop, pray and ask God to show you how to pray but then say, God, am I, am I getting trapped? Am I obsessing about the condition here and forgetting my position in Christ over and above? So that's the first thing. The second thing is to realize, like we talked about, um, the angelic realm. So angels, it says in Hebrews 1.14... That angels are ministering spirits sent to those who are Christians. So all through scripture you can examine it. Angels are not at the the bequest of just anybody. That God specifically assigns to us angelic beings that are there to minister and serve us. Think about that for a second. Just think about it. God isn't handing them out like candy you know just like popcorn but specifically when you put your trust in god he assigns to you an angelic being to help you and to serve you so what are we so worried about why do we get so stressed and so overcome why do we feel so helpless and so hopeless. The Bible's really clear that we actually don't, the point is that we're not trying to find out our angel's name and learn his birthday and all of that stuff, but to actually say, God, I believe that through what Jesus did on the cross, you have given me the positional authority to walk over and above the attacks and the schemes and the effects of the enemy of God in my life. So here's the last thing I want to end with. We're going to talk about some of this stuff for a few weeks. But like we said at the very beginning, there is a, a hierarchy and a structure and an order to the spiritual realm that God is very intentional about and very serious about. And in the same way, when we engage in the spiritual realm, when we engage with God on some of these things, there is an order that's right and healthy. And here's the first part of that order. We can put that little graphic up is us. Okay? So you are in the middle. And God has given you the authority through Christ to overcome the schemes and assignments of the enemy in your life. He's given you, it says in the New Testament, everything you need for life and for godliness. He's given it to you. You don't have to earn it or work for it. You don't have to be better for it or do less of this and more of this for it. He's given it to you as a gift. And the next concentric circle out is our family and our community. You see, when we begin to take ownership over what God is doing in our lives, when we begin to take ownership over our own spiritual condition, when we begin to fight battles for our own life, God empowers us to fight battles for our family and our friends and our community. And beyond that, it just keeps pushing out to our nation and to the world. But here's the thing. Unless you're practicing the authority you have in Christ in your own life, unless you're getting serious about sin, and unless you're getting serious about trusting God with these things, you cannot engage in battle for things that he hasn't called you to. And here's the problem. We live in a society through technology where we can unknowingly engage in Warfare in battle in areas that we're not even remotely called to or equipped for. A lot of these analogies come from a military background because that's what Paul had all around him. That's what was going on in Jesus' time. And there were major consequences, and there are in the military, if you actually sidestep, the levels of authority and engage in activity outside of the sphere of the authority that you've been given. And I wonder if part of the struggle we're in and part of the the thing that's tearing our world apart right now is we have a whole bunch of people in the church who aren't taking authority over the schemes and attacks and the assignments of the enemy in their own life and then trying to speak into somebody else's life. Because it's way easier for me to just lay into somebody on Facebook than it is to get serious about my own standing with Christ. It's way easier for me to point the finger at someone else and say, look at your deficiency. Look at how you've hurt me. Look at what you're doing. Look at where you're going. It's way easier for me to do that than to stop like Daniel and like the early church in Acts and say, God, grieve my heart for what's going on in my own house. I haven't really commented at all about what's happening in Charlottesville because not because it's not important, but because my heart is God. I want to protect my own two kids, my own boys who are four and seven, who are growing up in a world that is just falling apart. God, I want to protect my own heart. I have people in my life, just so you know, I can't go on my computer or on my phone or do anything without several of my closest friends knowing exactly what I'm doing at all times everywhere. Why? Not so that I am shackled in this state of, you know, frustration, but so I'm liberated in my own spirit, in my own heart, and in my own life to not focus on my condition, but on my position. It's that important to me that I take care of this house and this heart, then take care of my family, then take care of the church, and so on and so forth. What I love about what the Bible teaches us about the spiritual realm and spiritual authority is that it's actually meant to give us hope and life. It's not meant to overwhelm us and burden us and cause fear. It's actually meant for you to realize that Jesus did the hard work of defeating the enemy. It says in Colossians that he he systematically defeated the devil and all of his power and all of his authority. And then he humiliated him by dragging him behind in a victor's march. And that's an illustration back in Paul's day when the Roman army would go out to battle and defeat a warring nation or community or group of people. They would take the king of that group and they would cut off his thumbs and his big toes as a symbol That he's been rendered ineffective and useless for battle. You can't fight back or hold a sword when you don't have a thumb. And you can't walk with balance when you don't have a big toe. And then these Roman generals would shackle them and parade them through the main streets of the city for everyone to see that this king has been defeated. And not only is he defeated now, he's defeated for all time. He's not coming back. And the Bible says that's exactly what Jesus did. He defeated the enemy one time for all time. And his invitation to you and I in this season of chaos and violence and hatred and confusion and all of that is not to try and work ourselves up in some frenzy to respond, but to accept what Jesus did for us and accept that he's given us the authority in our own lives to deal with the enemy. So if you find yourself overwhelmed today, confused, fearful, angry, lustful, filled with pride or self-righteousness, if you find yourself being overwhelmed by what's happening in our world, you're not without hope. You're not without recourse. Let's stand together. So like I said, the first sphere of that influence is you and I. This isn't a salvation issue. When Jesus died, he died one time so that you could have an eternal life with him in heaven. This isn't about salvation. Bible's clear that we're saved by grace through faith. We don't work for it. We don't try and be good for it. We don't try and, you know, have less sin and more good stuff. It's not how God works. But his invitation to us is, look, if I've given you a new life, if I've done this for you, are you willing to stand beside me and walk through right back through that first guard station of fear and doubt and that second guard station of anger and bitterness and lust and those exit doors of whatever they are. Are you willing to follow me back through so that I can free you and liberate you? So you can begin to pray for your friends and family powerfully in my name. We hope that you are challenged and inspired by what you heard today and that you're willing to allow God to work in and through your life in bigger ways this week. We'd love to stay connected with you on social media, facebook.com slash mountainparkchurch and instagram.com slash mountainparkchurch. Finally, if you have a story of how God has been working in and through you, we'd love to hear it. Just email us at mystory@mp.church at and tell us how God has been working in your life lately.